Chapter Forty Four of Order Number Eleven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Order Number Eleven by Carolyn Abbott Stanley. Chapter Forty Four. Without fear and without reproach. Was it the honeysuckle? Or was it the force of a great heart hundreds of miles away that held and drew her periodically to itself, as the moon holds and draws in spite of all the restless, heaving, turbulent ocean? That heart, though sorely wounded, was unchanged. This was the love of a lifetime to Gordon Lay. In it was what the author of Tess calls a substratum of everlastingness. And yet, in a heart where burns a steady flame of love that nothing can put out, sometimes smoulders also a slow fire of resentment that is as hard to quench. The very traits that make the one possible make the other almost inevitable. Gordon felt, not unnaturally, that he had been hardly used to the astonished bewilderment of that first moment when his letters had dropped unopened into his hands had succeeded a period of searching self-examination what had he done he knew virginia too well to believe that this was a girl's whim she was not unreasonable something had shaken her soul to its depths to lead her to do a thing like this. But what was it? And how could he ever find out? In those letters was the explanation of his long silence, of his unprecedented and perhaps unwarrantable action in taking charge of Colonel Trevelyan's affairs, of everything in short, but if these explanations did not reach the eyes for which they were intended, how could he ever write himself in their sight? And how could he make them reach those eyes? The more he thought of it, the more dazed he felt, and the more perplexed as to the means of extrication. Then a slow anger rose within him. A common criminal was allowed a trial, and with those letters that would have explained everything thrown contemptuously back at him, he felt that he had been denied a trial. He had been condemned, unheard. He really was more troubled over the return of Colonel Trevelyan's letters than Virginia's. It might possibly be personal pique on her part, though he hardly believed so but it would not be on the colonel's. It must be that he had heard of his action in taking Lois to the asylum and resented it. Perhaps the superintendent had learned where Colonel Trevelyan was and communicated with him, telling him of his, Gordon's, proposition to have her entered under the name of Trevelyan and he had felt it to be an unpardonable liberty with his name. Perhaps they resented his taking Lois there, or of his having anything to do with it. But he told himself helplessly 
something had to be done and there was nobody else to do it they ought to know that his motives were right whether his judgment was or not he began to feel sure that he had come upon the true solution colonel trevelyan repudiated this marriage and resented his action in the matter and virginia stood with him then pride and a sense of injury came to complicate matters if this was the way they felt he had overestimated the family that was all his regiment was ordered to kentucky after a while and he talked it all over with his mother asking specially that sally should not be told anything about it he did not want to be mixed up in it any more than he was already he said and sally would be sure to let fall something about it to virginia and in the wisdom of this mrs lay concurred so the last hope of straightening things out was cut off mrs lay took a very common sense view of gordon's obligation in the matter influenced perhaps by mother love my son she said i don't think you want to burden yourself in any such way if colonel trevelyan repudiates this marriage or is not able to maintain her lois should be put on the county mother he replied quietly that was settled months ago while i live beverly trevelyan's wife will never become a public charge but gordon there is certainly some misunderstanding i wouldn't give it up this way and when you write again i shall not write again he said it was during this time in kentucky that he met mary matterson of whom sally afterward wrote to virginia he did not go much into society but mary matterson was a sweet attractive girl and he went often to her house she was a belle as sally had said but there was something about this reserved quiet man that interested her more than any of her gay companions and he found her companionship very grateful at this time word came to him at last that the news of beverly's death had reached the trevelyans came in a heartbroken letter from virginia to sally which she put into gordon's hands gordon she cried through her tears what was it came between you and verge write to her whatever it was she needs comfort now he read the letter through and handed it back to her but he did not answer and he did not write in all the letters of sympathy that passed there was never a mention of the marriage one day gordon had a letter from dr cheever it was written with a longing for a friend's sympathy and perhaps too with the unformulated thought that gordon would understand he told him in the letter what she had said the assurance he had waited for before he had spoken there is nothing whatever between us gordon sat staring into vacancy a long time after he read this letter it seemed to make it all so horribly definite this is a mixed-up world he did not know that her words were only an echo of his own 
that had fallen on her heart like clods on a coffin after a while his eyes fell on another letter lying on his table he took it up and looked at it he knew what it was it seemed almost like the satire of fate that it should have come at this moment when he was looking out over the desolation of his life it was a bill for lois chandler's board and medical attendance rendered quarterly with it was a brief statement of her condition which the superintendent said was unchanged gordon had deposited a sum of money in the fulton bank in case of emergency he wrote out a check for the amount added a formal line with it and addressed it mechanically he was thinking of the day he stood under the willow tree with beverly trevelyan's letter in his hand the covenant was with jonathan and his house he said unaware that he had spoken his mother was well provided for she would never leave his sister now and wifeless and childless as he felt at this moment he should always be what better use could he make of his broken life than to give it to the care of his dead friend's wife and child i can at any rate be faithful he thought but it was a wintry smile that flitted over his face for a principle is a bloodless thing and human love so warm and palpitating and so it stood between these two until the hour of reckoning came end of chapter 44 recording by john brandon